Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back. This is Roger Stone, and this is the Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC Radio. We are the crown jewel of AM radio. Joining me today is a man who needs no introduction, Tucker Carlson. Uh, In the interest of full disclosure, Tucker Carlson and I have been friends for over 30 years. He wrote the introduction to my book, Stone's Rules, had a star turn in the Netflix documentary, Get Me, Roger Stone, uh, and was perhaps the most articulate advocate for justice in my case when Robert Mueller decided to try to frame me for Russian collusion that never actually existed. Tucker Carlson, welcome to The Roger Stone Show. Oh, it's an honor to be here. And hearing that, the intro with Trump's voice, just brings me back to one of the pivotal moments in my life, which was watching the raid on your house in Florida. And that's when I realized, wow, this is not the country I thought it was. And I was born here and my kids live here. I'm going to live here till I die. And how do we, I mean, how, how do you even live in a place that would do something like that to an innocent man? So that, I mean, I, I feel like your experience, horrifying as it was, and you did go through hell, um, was such an amazingly instructive event for the rest of us. So thank you for enduring that. Well, the ir- the great irony, of course, is that a full year after my full and unconditional pardon, which you publicly recommended numerous times, Robert Mueller was forced by a federal judge to publish the last long-remaining redacted sections of his report, in which he just admits we never had any evidence that Roger Stone was involved in Russian collusion, WikiLeaks collaboration, or for that matter, any other crime. So they they ruined my life or attempted to solely to pressure me to testify falsely against Donald Trump, which I refuse to do. And I have no regrets. Uh, Tucker, you've uh, worked at Fox, CNN, NBC, uh, until recently, you had what I would argue was the most influential program uh, on cable news uh, network. Uh, you have now gone to the new media, as it were, uh, with your own uh, Twitter, now X-based show. The numbers speak for themselves. I mean, you are killing it in terms of just the number of viewers. Does this... Does this herald the end of the old media? Well, I, I mean, I don't think that I have anything to do with the end of the old media, but but yes, they're dying. See the numbers very often, but someone listened to me yesterday. The decline in viewership in linear television is just precipitous. It's off a cliff. And But you knew that was going to happen. I mean, partly because the technology has changed, and it's just easier and cheaper to watch your stuff streaming. Um, but I would say more to the point, because people will pay for things that have value. But if they understand, and I think they most now do, that what you're hearing is not true, 
It's not honest. It's part of a propaganda effort to change your mind on something or make you more obedient in the face of your own destruction, which is really what it is. They don't want anything to do with it. So, I mean, people made fun of bloggers and streamers and podcasters five years ago when I worked in television. And now it's very obvious that independent voices, independent media are the media. They're the only media that people listen to. Do people take you know, Joe Rogan or the Today Show more seriously. Well, it's not even close. Rogan has an audience that dwarfs the Today Show. I mean, it's all sort of happened incrementally, so you don't pause, or I haven't paused as someone who's been in the media my whole life, to appreciate how momentous the change is. But they're done. NBC News won't exist in five years. I mean, it won't. I mean, there's no justification for it. It's not a, it's not a workable business. And they're not doing anything worth doing. I mean, they're just, it's a prostate health vehicle for the pharma companies that's all it is and people know that yeah it's it's boring but more importantly it's discredited i think 2016 is really the beginning people prior to that distrusted big government they distrusted most institutions they certainly distrusted both major political parties but i think that is the beginning of them really having a deep distrust of big media they finally figured out that big media was just not telling them the truth that they have a that they have a, a, a desired narrative that they want to push on you. Last night uh, on MSNBC, Ari Melber, one of my favorite people, uh, actually had a piece in which he said that Jack Smith, the special counsel, has somehow accessed Donald Trump's cell phone and was able to see his cell phone traffic on January sixth, uh, and that. Uh, Trump spoke to one person outside his staff, and that person must obviously be Roger Stone, <laughs> which is categorically false. Just no evidence to support that crazy supposition yes. whatsoever. But they put that on TV like it's real. And unfortunately, some people yeah. will watch that and, and believe it. It's uh, it, it's but, bizarre. But, but a subset of a subset of a subset. I mean, a tiny number of people or watching Ari Melber, someone whose name, thankfully, I haven't thought of in seven months, because he's irrelevant to the conversation and to the future. I mean, the interesting thing is, I think you're so right about 2016 changing everything. But what's wild is how much I missed as it was happening. And you sort of always do. It's hard to know you're living it. I mean, we, you know, we say that the you know fall of Rome took place in the mid-5th century, and we've got an exact date and everything. And I always wonder... If you lived in Rome in the 5th century, you know, in 460, would you know that Rome was falling? You might not know, actually. It's only in retrospect that we see things clearly. But I think it's very obvious, if you just pause for a second and have a quiet moment, we are in a pivot point in history, like an actual one. And the period we're living in will be written about, assuming there are still people to write it, extensively as the time when everything changed and the post-war liberal democracy project failed and it was replaced by something else. And it's up to all of us to do our best to make sure that whatever replaces what we have now, and it will be replaced, is something humane that we can live with. I mean, because it's pretty clear that, you know, there are people who want to turn this into a place you wouldn't want to live. I mean, at all. Well, it's interesting now that uh, that Elon Musk, who I think is a, a great hero. I mean, I'm I'm an admirer. I always liked his swagger to begin with, but at great cost to himself, he really has struck a blow for free speech, uh, and therefore he's become the number one enemy of the established order. Uh, and I thought the space uh, that he did the other night was really, really terrific. 
uh, with Alex Jones uh, uh, and others. Uh, but uh, you recently launched the Tucker Carlson Network this past week. Tell us uh, what that's about. Well, I mean, I you know left my my old job in April, and I did have a couple weeks to think about you know what should I do next. I was fifty three. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know. I have a lot of interest, very passionate interest. But then I thought I should keep doing what I'm doing because. I think the moment demands it. I'm not indispensable, not even close, but I think I should add my voice to the chorus of people who are trying to tell the truth, trying to be honest. And so we started a new news organization called Tucker Carlson Network, which is um, uh, which is streaming. It's online. A lot of the material will run in part on X because we believe in that platform, the last big free speech platform. But there's a subscription model that we think is essential. If you rely on advertising alone and i've lived this for decades and you try to tell the truth about forbidden topics and you should it's morally incumbent on you to do that you're going to face extinction i mean again i've lived this a lot and so you need another revenue model if you're going to you know hire people and try and do real news coverage and we have 20 employees now we'll have a lot more than that next year but you need a way to protect yourself from media matters and you know, Sleeping Giants and all the rest of the Soros-funded censorship organizations, Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean, these, you know, these organizations exist to protect power, to get you to shut up and stop criticizing power. And they're very effective. They're very evil, of course, but they're very effective. And so, you know, you need a, you need a way to, to get out, you know, to protect yourself from them. And the subscription model is the only way. Uh, I saw that you recently uh, went to a UFC fight in Madison Square Garden uh, with President Donald Trump. I went to a UFC fight with him in Las Vegas uh, several weeks prior. What did you think of that experience? Well, I thought it was unbelievable. I mean, I'll just be honest, embarrassing as it is, we don't have a TV. So, you know, I I didn't. I love Dana White, who runs it, who is a friend of mine and and also from Maine, by the way, I should say, a plug for the state of Maine, but uh, just a really great guy and someone I admire, but I'd never been to a fight because I don't travel very much. So I went kind of at the last minute. Trump was there, Kid Rock, who I love, and it, the whole thing just blew my mind. And I'm pretty anti-violence, to be honest with you, so I was like, I don't know why I like this or not. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it is, by the way, the single most violent thing I've ever seen in peacetime. I mean, it really is. But there's something honorable and pure about it because there's no there's kind of no affirmative action in the blood sports you know you can either do it or you can't i mean it's purely on the merits and there's again there's something wonderful about that it's real in a world where almost nothing else is you know what i really liked about it uh, there were no vegans in the crowd uh there were no there were there were no there were there were no pacifists in the crowd People were eating snacks, but there was no tofu. I assure you, uh, I've never seen no, so much no, testosterone in, in in one hall. <laughs> I was, yeah, I thought the same thing. This is a protein-heavy crowd. I sat actually sat next to by accident Dan Bongino, who is just absolutely a savage. I mean, Dan Bongino looks like he would you know eat you if you annoyed him. I like Dan. I'm not criticizing him, but uh, he didn't even stand out. I mean. <laughs> No, it's it's very masculine in a good way, in a in an honest way, not in a fake way at all. And I know some of the fighters. Bryce Mitchell is one of my absolute favorite people, and um, 
from Arkansas, who's one of their, I think, one of their great fighters. And but they're all the same. They're all very humble because guys like that who prove themselves in public have nothing else to prove. They don't need to BS you with I'm the toughest guy. You know, you can assess how tough they are. You're watching it, and so they're very, very like restrained, gentle people in person. All of them. Yeah, Jorge Masvidal is a good friend of mine. He's, of course, from Miami nearby. Uh, but I have to admit, there were many times when I just had to look away. I couldn't, I, I just couldn't, particularly with the women fight, uh, I just couldn't uh, take the brutality. It was I'm more, not for that. I'm not, I should say that. I didn't watch, I don't think women should be hitting each other. I don't think they should be on the front lines of our military. I think the whole point of civilization is protect women because you love women. And once they start fighting your wars or beating each other up for money, for your entertainment, I think you degrade yourself. So that's one area where I strongly disagree with Dana White, who, as I said, I genuinely admire. But I don't I think it degrades all of us to pit women against each other. Women in violence. Women should not be violent. I think it's wrong. And I don't care if I'm betraying the core tenets of feminism. I think it's gross. And I didn't watch. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Couldn't agree more. So there's been, as you're well aware, uh, speculation uh, about a Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson, presidential, vice presidential ticket. I realize you're probably tired of answering uh, vice presidential questions, but frankly, it's all anyone wants to hear about. So let me ask it in a slightly different way. What country are you planning to officially visit when you become vice president? (laughs) I'm going right to Hungary. Um, to see Viktor Orban, who is one of the rare great leaders in the world and a very moderate, sensible person who cares about his own country, which is highly unusual at this stage in history. Um, I mean, look, the the bottom line in this story is that I have no control over it, zero. And the last thing I would ever do is try and jockey for anything. I'm just not a jockey or I didn't jockey in my last job or any job. I just don't believe in that. And so I have no control, and if Trump thinks that's the right thing, then I'll think about it. And um, I don't know I'd be very good at it. I've never done anything like that before. I don't have some of the relative, relevant skills, I don't think. But it's sort of like the weather. It's like something I don't worry about because it's not up to me. Yeah, President Nixon once told me you don't run for vice president, but you can position yourself. I see no evidence whatsoever that you're doing that. Uh, you know, but you're not prepared to issue a Sherman-esque statement here today. So hope springs eternal. I think it would be interesting, to say the least, and perhaps very powerful. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm flattered to that extent. And um, but I mean, I really do. Th- I don't know. I have no idea when Trump plans to make this decision. But I know for a fact it will be a different country by the time he does. So the calculation will be different. I mean, if I look at my views 20 years ago, I went to Iraq 20 years ago today on December 13th, 2003, changed my life forever. And if I think about what my views were on the flight to Kuwait about the world, they're completely different from the views I have today, completely different because the world is completely different. So the one thing I've learned in my long and varied life is don't, you know, don't imagine the future to too precisely because you can't it's a fool's errand like do your job today and god's in control and you know i'm not 
Folks, if you're just tuning in, this is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC Radio, uh, and we are interviewing Tucker Carlson, uh, and very grateful to have him uh, on the show. Uh, Tucker, you know that I have long been a proponent for the full legalization of cannabis. I happen to believe it has great medicinal value, uh, most importantly. Uh, Israel uses it for PTSD and its soldiers. I think it is greatly uh, preferable to opioids, which I think is the number one drug problem in the country, other than perhaps fentanyl. Uh, You're uh, against legalization, although generally speaking, you're uh, a libertarian. Tell us uh, the thinking behind your current stance. Well, it's not so much I'm against legalization. I'm against getting loaded. I'm for sobriety, and that's not a position I was born with. That's a position I earned. I've been sober for 21 years. And I just think there's a lot of value in facing life directly. I don't think it's easy. Um, And I've been addicted to all kinds of things over the course of my life. I've done a lot of drugs. I smoked weed every day for years, many years. And, of course, I had a drinking problem. So I, I kind of have done a lot of longitudinal research on And I think it's just good to encourage people, particularly men, to just live clear-headedly and soberly. Um, And I have to say, I don't see, while I'm totally opposed to hassling people for smoking weed, um, of course, I've always had that view, and I always will have that view. If someone's smoking weed in his living room, why are you bothering him? We've got real problems. Leave him alone. But encouraging people to smoke weed in public and encouraging kids to use it hasn't made the country better. I don't notice that. I don't see any measure by which... America has become a better country or its people have become happier by encouraging cannabis use. I mean, maybe I'm missing the numbers, but the suicide rate, the rate of mental illness has skyrocketed. Everyone seems a little touched at this point. That's not just the fault of weed. I'm not exactly sure what it is. I personally think it's probably spiritual, but but I'm just saying I don't notice improvement. We've had a huge change. When I was a kid, I remember you know smoking weed at the beach in California where I grew up and you'd hide when the Rangers came by. Now, you know, you share a joint with them. Okay, huge change. Has the country gotten better? No. Have the people become more impressive? Hardly. Much less impressive, much less happy, much less strong, much more dependent. Again, I'm not blaming weed, but I'm just saying, like, if it's a good thing, where are the signs that it's a good thing? And I don't see a single one of them. Uh, I know you once had a nicotine addiction. Uh, Most of the time when I see you, you are chewing on a nicorette. Uh, I admire that you have broken it. I find the whole concept broken of si- it. broken it. I've Bro- got it in right now. I haven't broken it. I'm I'm more slavishly dependent on nicotine than I've ever been, and you know I'm not proud of that. I guess I I don't see a downside, but maybe there is one. Just like you you like weed and don't see a downside. Yeah, it's you been know, long- everyone has. A- different yeah. perspective. No, actually, my view on weed is, is I gotten very similar to yours. I'm uh, in the sense that I, I don't do it anymore. I did a lot of it at one time, uh, but I do think it should certainly be decriminalized. Uh, I guess what I meant to say is I'm glad to see that you're not still smoking cigarettes. That's what I meant. No, but, you know, I tried to smoke one this summer. Somebody sent me a bunch of cigarettes, a new cigarette brand, and I thought, I mean, I smoked until I was 45, you know, so I have a lot of experience with cigarettes, and uh, so I was like, I'm going to smoke one, and I didn't enjoy it. I was kind of shocked. I've been off 
I've been off them for nine years, and I thought I would enjoy it, but I really didn't. So I think the smoking phase of my life is over for good. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. What do you what do you make of these efforts in the UK effectively banning cigarettes for all future generations? What do I think of that? I think it's yes. grotesque. I think it's grotesque. I mean, I, I wonder also why why the monomania about cigarettes. I mean, yeah, they're not good for you, but there's no healthcare savings in banning smoking, and there's healthcare costs actually. So there's no economic justification for banning cigarettes. But they're obsessed with banning cigarettes. So, like, why? Well, maybe there's something about cigarettes that makes them mad that has nothing to do with public health. Maybe it's a sign of autonomy and masculinity. Maybe it raises your testosterone levels, comma, which it does. And maybe that's the real problem. Maybe they hate working-class men. Maybe they hate working-class whites. Oh, yeah, that's who smokes. So, you know, I, I think you should – poor people have very few pleasures in this country, very few, fewer than ever. They're more in debt. They're more unhealthy. They're more despised than they've ever been. This is a revolution aimed downward at ordinary people, working people. And if they like to smoke cigarettes, maybe you should just back off and let them, actually. Maybe you should stop hectoring them and lecturing them. You know, and it's always like some rich lady in her 50s who's totally brain dead from SSRIs and benzodiazepines who's like lecturing the working class about smoking their cigarettes. And, and maybe she should just shut up and go away. That's my feeling. Very, very good. Very, very good point. Let me ask you a question that I asked President Donald Trump on this show. It was my very first show. Do you believe, and I think you do, that the government absolutely has proof uh, of UFOs? Uh, and why aren't they telling us about it? Well, I know that that's true. It's not that I believe it. It's I, I have confirmed it. And... Um, why, I mean, there are two reasons, in my opinion, and I, I think this, I'm safe to say this conclusive, that they're not releasing it. And by the way, that they're trying very hard not to release it. Very, very hard. I could bore you for an hour, but there's a, there's a frantic effort underway right now in the Congress to not follow the UAP Disclosure Act that they passed earlier this year. They're trying to keep this stuff hidden. Why? The most obvious answer is because the information reveals their crimes. I mean, the U.S. government has had contact with these entities for over 80 years. And so a lot has happened in that time in secret, and they don't want the public to know because it would reveal that they've done criminal things, which they have. And the second reason, if I'm being honest, is that I think the truth about this is upsetting. It's not that we have crashed flying saucers and alien biologics, which is, of course, true. There's, it's more than that, actually, and it is distressing. So, so distressing to me personally that, like, the things that I believe to be true about this, I would not tell my wife, and I haven't, because what's the point? You know what I mean? And so, I, I, I never sympathize with this with classification. I think the government is way too secretive. I don't think it's a real democracy if they hide as much as they do. I still believe that, and I'm always for disclosure. But in this case, I can, I can understand why they're hiding some of this because i think it's very upsetting and very dark and, and so that's my view of that 
Uh, I uh, watched your epic two-hour interview with Alex Jones. It was so fascinating. I actually prevailed on my wife to listen and watch the whole thing. Uh, make it clear, as you did in the interview, as I do here on this show, I don't agree with Alex Jones on everything. I don't agree with him on many things. I do agree with him on other things. Uh, but I I'm still shocked uh, that on one day, essentially, Every single social media platform, all of whom claim they didn't speak to each other, by the way, uh, just outright banned him. He was gone. Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, uh, Hulu, etc., etc., etc. What was interesting about his interview is that you see that he's not just some angry guy pounding the table, although his audience clearly does love that persona, uh, but that his beliefs, even if you disagree with them, they're grounded in, in a lot of research, a lot of thought, a lot of reading, a lot of study. Uh, it was really, really impressive. Uh, I commend it to anybody who thinks they know him because they will see a man that they, that they don't know. Uh, but more importantly, that I really believe that interview had the impact of allowing him to return to Twitter, now known as X. And I think just because I'm a free speech absolutist, that's a really good thing. Well, I feel exactly the same way about Alex Jones. And um, I like Alex personally. Um, he's a nice man in a lot of ways. But the reason that I wanted to get him on is because I don't think he's a political analyst or commentator. I think he's a prophetic voice. And I think that's provable. Alex Jones called 9-11 in detail. Alex Jones said in July on tape, so we're not guessing about this, Alex Jones said, I'm worried that planes are going to hit the World Trade Centers, and they're going to blame Osama bin Laden. I worked in D.C. then. I had a TV show then. I was pretty connected then. Not one person in my world had even thought of something like that, and Alex Jones said so out loud on cable access television in Austin, Texas, and we can prove that. We're not guessing. So what is that? How could you have called 9-11 in that detail? And I talked to him a lot about it off air, and I'm not sure he knows, but the point is that's prophetic. No one did that. That's supernatural. No one can do that. That's impossible. And But he did it. So what is that? And I don't know the answer, of course, but he's done that on a number of subjects. Now, Alex Jones is obviously kind of floored and crazy and jumping around and yelling at Brian Stelton and all, all the rest. But that doesn't mean that he's not channeling something real and true and supernatural. And he clearly is. I mean, well, what's the other explanation? So that, that shouldn't shock us because all through history there are documented accounts of people who somehow know things that no one else knows who can foretell the future often you know not precisely but but clearly they have insight that others don't have and often they're kind of crazy people i mean there's not a prophet in the old testament you want to have dinner with i, mean, I like having dinner with alex jones i really like him personally but even if i didn't i would recognize something very unusual is coming out of alex jones and so why would anyone want to silence that? He's not calling for violence. He's not a cruel person. And he has a, a, a constitutional right to say what he thinks. So why did they ban him? Well, they banned him precisely because he was telling the truth. Of course. And, and that should bother all of us. And we should listen carefully to what Alex Jones says. Because do you know anyone else who called 9-11? No, you don't. Because no one else did. Just him. And I just think that, that makes him an amazing person. Well, in the interview, I thought he, handled, he answered that question very effectively. He pointed 
multiple think tank uh, and other government studies that he had read exhaustively. Uh, and as he put it, it's all there. All you do is read it. If you read these things, maybe he's the only one who read them, but it, it was all there. This seems to be the case in all of the things. Look, he, he understands uh, something, again, that Nixon used to say, which in politics, which is the same as, let's just say, uh, 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 the Internet or cable. The only thing worse than being wrong is being boring. And Alex Jones is never boring. But uh, having hung out with him, having spent time with him, the Alex Jones you see uh, on his show, the Alex Jones you see in your interview, that is the real Alex Jones. There's, he, he doesn't have a public persona and a private persona. I mean, he is interesting. He is manic. He is committed. He is devout. Uh, he is a believer. I mean, he's all those things. He's got some ideas that I really, really strongly disagree with, but I absolutely believe he has a, a total right to say them. Uh, and, and I'm perplexed by our judicial system, which doesn't seem to agree. Uh, he now, I believe, owes, uh, in the recent litigation, I think he owes something like $1.3 trillion for things that he said, things I disagree with, but things he said, I think he has a right to say. Well, for sure. But again, why Why Alex Jones? I mean, he's not, okay. you know, he's never had a platform on a mainstream media source. He is a relatively small audience. He hasn't hurt anybody. Words are not violence, and they're not, legally, they are not violence. We can say that conclusively. So why why do they hate him so much? Why do they focus on him? And of course, it's because you know, in the in the vast sea of things that he said are very true things, and those are the offensive things to the people in charge. And I will just say about the 9-11 thing, I thought his answer was absurd. Oh, I read the think tank stuff. Well, okay, I worked at a couple of think tanks. I live in D.C. I know a lot more about D.C. than Alex Jones does, because I spent 35 years there. And I didn't, you know, you can I read a lot of things, but to connect those things and to have certainty that they're true, and to predict the future in a way that's that precise when nobody else does. That's not a product of your study. That's like, that's a supernatural insight. There's no other way. I just don't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I probably know the people who wrote those papers that he read, but they didn't predict this was going to happen. Nobody did. Only he did. So that tells me, that confirms my view that there's a lot going on that's not explicable in human terms. I mean, clearly, clearly there is. I'm just trying to be rational about it. And um, and so I think Jones, I, I, you know, I have no idea why he's the one through whom these insights are coming. You know, I'm, I don't know. I don't understand it. There's a lot I don't understand, but I know that that's real. Folks, this is the Roger Stone Show, and we are going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back with Tucker Carlson. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. This is Roger Stone. We're back on the Roger Stone Show here at 77 WABC. We are the crown jewel of AM radio, and we're talking to Tucker Carlson. Tucker, according to uh, Fox News, uh, The Daily Wire, uh, WealthDaily.com, uh, 
uh, Newsmax and a few others, there was a cyber attack on the United States last week, which they attribute to China's military. Uh, to me, this seems to be an egregious act of war, yet this got almost no coverage whatsoever, uh, and I'm trying to understand why. Because they make all of our antibiotics, because they make electrical components that we need to make cars, computers, iPhones, because we can't live without them, because they have total control over our country, not through their military power, but through their economic and manufacturing power. So actually, we can't, we're in the subordinate position with China. And I don't care what the think tank warriors say. I don't care what our generals say, who really are contemptible and stupid. Uh, you know, it, just look at the facts. And, and that's all that matters. When they started to tell me that Ukraine was going to beat Russia, I, went, I rushed right to Wikipedia, my news source, and looked at the populations relatively of the two countries. And I was like, wait, Russia has 100 million more people and much deeper manufacturing capacity. Like, there's no chance Ukraine can win. Like, it's just that simple. It's baked in the cake. If, if you assess a potential war between the United States and China, you know, the country that makes everything is going to win. That's why the Confederacy lost in the Civil War. They were, in a lot of ways, more capable soldiers with better leadership, but they, you know, they didn't have enough plants to make rifles. And it's just kind of that simple. So we can't beat China in a war. We cannot defend Taiwan because we don't make our own antibiotics or our own vitamin C or our own anything anymore, thanks to the private equity class who really should be brought up on charges. Um, but whatever. Um, yeah, that's the answer. There's nothing we can do. So we're not doing anything. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who I know is a friend of yours, an acquaintance of mine, says that he just doesn't believe that poses a military threat to the United States. Uh, I vehemently disagree with that. Do you agree with me? Do you agree with him? What's your Did view? China? Does yes. China? I mean, again, I think it's irrelevant. I don't think China needs a military to control the United States. Um, at all. If you if you make the products that the country can't exist without, then you have absolute control. And we can posture all, all we want. I'm also not convinced that China is going to invade Taiwan. I think probably it's a wiser move just to control its political structure secretly, which I'm fairly confident they already do. So, you know, war is, for a country like China, which thinks long-term, war is like the least appealing outcome. China doesn't want war with anybody. China just wants control over everybody. It's a commercial country. So to me, the measure will be our trade routes. The, you know, the purpose of the, the real purpose of the U.S. military is to keep the, you know, sea lanes open so you can have global trade, particularly oil. And if China decides, well, actually, you know, now the Straits of Malacca are ours and we're, you know, we're kind of controlling the trade that flows through them, then that's, that's what it, that's what global control looks like right there and i think that's what they want uh henry kissinger a secretary of state lauded by many as a statesman others by say as a satan himself passed uh, almost two weeks ago now your thoughts on henry kissinger i have too many thoughts i mean i, I think you know uh, on balance henry kissinger was a, a net a, a net destructive force to, for the united states for sure and I think, you know, he lived the kind of life that he's probably going to he's probably answering for right now. Um, so, you know, I think Henry Kissinger is also smart and way less crazy than uh, the neocons. He's certainly a lot more impressive than, say, Toria Newland, 
the Undersecretary of State. I mean, so by that measure, you know, but and the last thing I'll say is I don't believe in attacking people on the day they die, not because I'm defending the people, but because I think we should have reverence for death. And um, and so I was kind of I've never defended Henry Kissinger, but I felt like defending him that day. Uh, President Nixon again told me that the reason he never destroyed the tapes was because he was certain uh, that uh, he needed them as his protection uh, against Henry Kissinger taking credit for all of his foreign policy initiatives after his death. I think that tells Can I ask you. you a question? Of course. Last, last question, but um, I've never understood why Nixon, who I admire, like legitimately admire, and I think he was taken out, you know, in a coup. I think all the evidence proves that. But I never understood why someone as smart as Nixon would hire someone like Henry Kissinger. Why would you do that? Henry Kissinger, of course, was undermining Nixon the entire time. He's the least trustworthy, most dishonest person you could have at your side. So why would you hire someone like that? Uh, I think that he, I think that Nixon admired Kissinger's intellect. Uh, after Nelson Rockefeller, who was Kissinger's original patron, uh, bombed out of the 1968 presidential contest, Kissinger began sending these brilliant foreign policy memos uh, to Nixon, and Nixon was very impressed. It wasn't until after Nixon hired Kissinger that he learned uh, that Kissinger had been sending the exact same memos to Nixon's opponent, uh, Vice President Hubert Humphrey. Uh, Nixon uh, completely understood Kissinger, but he was uh, he was the architect. Kissinger was the errand boy. It was Nixon who 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 decided to bring China, a, a backwards, broke, agrarian country, in out of the cold, them off against the Russians in order to get a strategic arms limitation agreement. There was no way for Nixon and, or Kissinger to know that 30 years later, between the Bushes and the Clintons, we would not only give the Chinese most favored nation trading status, uh, but we'd also, in the case of Clinton, would sell them uh, our top military secrets in return for illegal campaign contributions. So China was not the powerhouse, not the danger it is today. No, I, I get it. I get it. But I just don't. I It detracts from my from my respect for Nixon that he would fall for that. I don't respect anyone's intellect at all. I respect their wisdom. I've been I spent my life around super bright people who are morons. Your IQ means nothing. Your cleverness means nothing. All that matters is your wisdom, your ability to make wise decisions that benefit people, your people, your country, your family. And and Kissinger was completely without that. He was utterly transactional, uh, totally deceptive, and always for himself above all. And having people like that, and this is my one big criticism of Trump, having people like that around you will destroy you. You need to run from people like that. And I just don't understand the appeal. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, we don't. And we don't want to mention any names. Mike Pompeo. Uh, okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Tucker Carlson, thank you so much for joining us on The Roger Stone you're, Show. You're the best. Thanks, Roger. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.